Well, thanks, guys. This has been fun. It has been moving pretty fast. I was thinking, wow. Some places it goes like, when is it going to end? I'm tired. This like, it's been cool. It's really been cool. All right, guys, before we jump in, I want to open up in a word of prayer. And um, this is one of the about because no one wants to talk about money. But it's one of those important things that we have to talk about because it is through money that God allows for ministry to work. And so I want to hopefully paint a picture for you tonight that could stimulate you to consider a biblical perspective on money, wealth, and God's agenda for this. So let's bow our heads in a word of prayer and let's begin to walk this through together. Father, we thank you for our time and we ask, Lord, for your wisdom. We ask and we pray, Lord, that you would grant us the ability and power to act on your word. Lord, we know that is such a sensitivity when it comes to money and resources, but we thank you, Lord, that you are in control of all these things. Would you help us to have the perspective that we need to have in order to have the practice that will bring the greatest glory to you, the biggest benefit to one another, and ultimately, Lord, watch you work through us. We love you. We praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want you to think about something with me for a moment, because without this big picture, to talk about money doesn't really make sense. And I want to give you a comprehensive reality of this gospel that God gave us. A comprehensive reality of how we're living out this gospel and how money is connected to this reality. Given this one thing. We have been given our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the way I like to put it is this. Jesus Christ, who is God, took on the form of man. He was crucified. He was buried. He was resurrected. So that you and I who put our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ will be delivered in three ways. For thus, for us who put our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. We have been delivered from the power of sin and one day the presence of sin. Now that's important because the moment you put your faith in the person and work of Christ, that immediately happens to you. The penalty of sin you delivered from because he paid the price. The power of sin you delivered from because sin no longer has dominion over you. And one day the presence of sin will go away and we will be in new heaven and new earth reigning with Christ forever and ever and ever. Amen. But this we received from something. We were connected to someone. Our salvation also includes the fact that as we were delivered from sin, we have been reconciled to other by way of the son. And as a result of that reconciliation, we are now in right standing. We're now in right relationship with God. And we have the seal of the Spirit of God who indwells us. That's a powerful thing that happened at the point of salvation. But something else happened in this reconciliation. God changed their position. We're no longer sinners by position. We're saints. Now, I know sometimes we act like ain'ts, but we're still saints regardless. And so our position has changed. We're no longer under Adam. We're under the new Adam, Jesus Christ. And so we are now saints. But something else happened to us. Our condition changed. 
We're no longer dead. We're now alive. That's what we call regeneration. We've been born again. And so where we were dead, we're now alive. So think about this wonderful comprehensive reality of our salvation. We've been delivered from the penalty, the power, the soon presence of sin. Our position has changed from sinner to saint. Our condition has changed. We're now alive. But for what reason? I want to propose to you that our salvation can be boiled down to three specific reasons why God saved us. And in this comprehensive reality of our salvation, if we can grasp this, we'll see how money fits into this in a moment. But here's the reality. We have been saved from the penalty, the power, soon presence. Our position and condition has changed for three reasons. Reason number one is so that we may know God the Father. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life that we may know the Father and the Son whom he had sent. We've also been saved that we may become like Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, from glory to glory, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. So let me go backwards. This comprehensive reality of our salvation, we've been saved from the penalty, the power, and soon presence of sin. Our position and condition has changed so that we spend our lives seeking to know him. Secondly, to become like him. And then number three, to be useful to him. If you think about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk therein. So I want you to look at this comprehensive reality of our salvation. We have been delivered. We have been reconciled and know him that we may become like him, be useful to him. And being useful to God means that you and I have been given some responsibilities and being useful means that we are tied to relationships. And there are three ultimate relationships that we have that carry us through our life. Number one, you and I are disciples. In the salvation experience, God made us disciples of Christ, which means we are followers of Christ. But second, we are ambassadors for Christ. Every unbeliever we encounter, we have been given the ministry and the responsibilities that through those relationships, if God wills, not as we works, as we give them the gospel, someone gets saved. But we're also built means every single Christian that we connect with, we were meant to build a relationship with, that through that relationship, you and I are helping them grow in their character and grow in their faith. This gospel message, this salvation we have, it's relational. And we were meant to be disciples, a genuine relationship with God that we follow his insight so that we get intimately close to him. A genuine relationship with others so that someone gets saved and someone grows in the faith. That's how we become Christian. Now, why is all that important? Because in order to do all these things that we're talking about, it takes resources. God has given you and I these resources to help fulfill the agenda that we have until. And those resources that he gave us were for the purpose that you and I together, as we take, we have, and I always say this, not the equal giving, but sacrifice, we together can begin to provide for the body of Christ to fulfill our roles as disciples, as ambassadors, 
as well as builders. I'm going to put this one on. Does it work? I'm in the mood for love simply because you're near me. No. Oh, oh, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I told you I wanted to be a rock star, but God wouldn't let me. So if we take all of what I've just said, it takes money to work this out. It takes resources. And what I tell my church is if we want a million dollar ministry, guess what we have to do together? Put in what? A million dollars. Now, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but the reality is I tell them the church is that place where everybody should be able to reach in and pull something out. But as they're pulling something out, they should also be able to put something in. And as long as we're all reaching to pull something out and put something in, there's always enough to get the job done of guiding people into knowing him, to becoming like him, to be useful to him. And what I've been learning over the years is that means that we have to have a biblical understanding of what we do with money. Because too often what I've discovered is that many churches will talk about money, but not put the context of what it's all about. And I tell our congregation and it shocks the leaders freak out when I do this. I say to them, listen, if you believe that God is truly doing something in this particular congregation, then we want you to put your resources to get connected. But if you don't believe that God is doing anything in this company or this organization, keep your money. And leaders are like, oh, pastor, don't do that. I was like, no, we have to do that. Because it's not about the money. It's about the investment in the kingdom. And as long as someone is a part of a particular church, they need to understand that their money is used by God to accomplish kingdom building, which comes back to the comprehensive reality of the gospel that I mentioned. Now, with that in mind, let's walk through a working definition of money and a working definition of wealth, and then let's begin to see how we should handle money from the scripture. Are you guys with me so far? Let's walk this through together. Definition of money, it's a commodity used as a medium of exchange or of designated value. In the Old Testament, money looked different forms that had different forms, such as metals, goods, and livestock. In the Apocrypha and in the New Testament, coin money, legally authorized by governing bodies, became the standard of exchange for goods and services. So anything that's used to accomplish the means of transferring goods and services one to another is kind of a big picture. What's the definition of wealth? Abundance, usually of money or material goods whose value is ordinarily expressed in terms of some understood unit such as national currency. So with that in mind, this working definition, how should we think about money? I want you to turn to your Bibles for a moment. We're going to look at two big passages and look at a few together. But turn to Luke chapter 12. And let's look at verse 15 to verse 20. Then we're going to look at James chapter 2, verses 14 to verses 17. And we're going to kind of give you an idea of how to think about this concept of money. But again, I need you to recognize something. Money and ministry always go hand in hand. And where God is working to get things done, he uses the resources of the people that are there. And as everybody understands that whatever resources you have, whether it's a little or a lot, 
God wants to use those resources at a certain manner to accomplish the kingdom agenda at your location. So it's never really about the money as much as it's about the investment into the kingdom agenda through the resources God has given. Consider this, Luke chapter 12. Let's look at verses 15 to verses 20. He says, boy, my eyes are getting old, but I'm not getting old, guys. It's just my eyes. Gee whiz, I got to get a larger print Bible. I'm talking out loud. Can you guys hear me talk to myself right now? Just act like you don't hear me. Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to verses 20. Now, watch this. He says, and he said to them, take care. Let me go back to verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, before we go any further, I need you to understand in this parable, God is not concerned or upset or against people having money and being productive. Okay. Because in order for his man to produce plentifully, it took the power of God, the blessing of God, the ability of God for that to happen. Are you guys with me so far? And he says, but here's where we get into something. And he thought to himself, that's when we get in trouble. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Now, here's a person who has more money than what they know to do with. And this is the reasoning that he gets to. What shall I do? I have more money than what I need. And it's important we see that because there are times when God will give you more than what you need, but not for what you think. He says, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Does anybody see the word I and my quite a bit in there? Those personal pronouns. It's a little dangerous, isn't it? And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Wow. You know, when you see, but that's a dangerous thing. You know, when someone says, I love you, and then they put the word, but what does that do with I love you? It just kind of makes it go away. Now, notice it says, but God said to him, wow, fool. This night, your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, who will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What's fascinating about this verse, the man is not a fool for productivity. The man is not a fool for accumulating wealth. This man is considered foolish for what he did with more than what he had. Now, keep that in mind. Keep your finger there because we're going to break this down because I want you to understand how we handle money. God is really in tune with and we need to be thinking amongst ourselves about this. Keep your finger there and turn to James chapter two for a moment. James chapter two. Let's look at verses 14 to verses 17. James chapter two, verses 14 to verses 17. He says in James 2, verse 14, What good is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith 
but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you said to him, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, the idea here is not that you work for your salvation, but that because you have a salvation, there's evidence by how you handle your resources. Again, the idea is that not faith plus works, but a faith that works. If I truly believe something to be what it is, it should be evident in how I carry my life. If I believe God has saved me from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and soon presence of sin, if I truly believe that, then the evidence that I believe that will be seen in how I seek to know him, how I seek to become like him, how I seek to be useful to him. Now, what does all that have to do with money? Look at point number one, how we handle money and wealth God has allotted to us exposes our spiritual condition. Can I make this very plain? My brothers and my sisters, I always like to say, my brothers from another mother, my sisters from another mister. Okay? I don't care how much Bible knowledge you have. Your spiritual maturity is shown in what you do with the resources God gives you. I know more about where you stand with Jesus Christ by looking at your checkbook versus watching your devotions. Your checkbook exposes a lot about you. For instance, walk with me through this. How we handle money and wealth exposes if our heart is set on the treasures of this life or the treasures of the life to come with Jesus Christ. One who is not rich towards God is one who is depending on money and wealth for his security while having no trust in God for salvation. This person is not using their lot of resources for God's agenda. This person is considered foolish. One who uses and increases in money and wealth that God has allotted without honoring God through the use of it is considered foolish. One who is rich towards God is one who is trusting God for his salvation and using money and wealth allotted to him, not only for self, but for God's agenda. Money and wealth is being used by this person in such a manner that God's grace is shown to others. This person is wise. If you don't remember anything else I share as we go on this in detail, remember this. Whenever God gives you more money than you need, it's always for two reasons. It's to enjoy and to share. And where do you think he wants you to share first? Mm, probably that church community that you're tied to. Would that logically make sense? And i never forget a guy at our church told me this. He said, Pastor, when I get a raise, so will the church. I said, well, brother, you keep getting a raise. <laughs> but what I share with him also is understand that when God gives you more than what you need, it's to enjoy and to share, not one or the other, but both and. So the question you have to ask yourself is, how has God been providing for you? And was he just providing for you or was that meant for you to also invest in the body of Christ where God's kingdom agenda is moving forward? Consider point number two. You tracking with me so far, guys? We must consider the principles of what we call grace giving 
in relation to our money and wealth. And, and we see the principle of grace giving tied to 2 Corinthians. I want you to turn there with me for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to verses 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to verses 11. Notice what he says. Now, I'll give you a little context. Paul is going to these churches because what's happened is that the Jews um, in Jerusalem are being attacked for their faith. And so they're losing their homes. They're losing their resources. And so he's going to the Gentile churches and saying, hey, your brothers and sisters are in need. And so he's going to the different churches asking for them to give their resources to help their brothers and sisters who are in need. And it's a powerful thing that he shows through this particular practice. Walk with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to verse 11. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly on the compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, let me tell you what this is not. This is not a name it and claim it, grab it and bag it, call it and haul it. Okay. This is not a charismatic chaos because you've heard a lot of people take this verse and go, well, if you give, God will give. And they go to all that craziness, right? That's not what this is about. This is saying to you and I, as we're going to see in a moment, as you decide how you will invest in God's kingdom work, you can expect God to continue to provide you more, not just to have more, but so that you can keep investing in the agenda so that as your investment goes, people will benefit from that to give God the praise and glory. What does that mean practically? Your resources were never meant to be consumed for just you. It was meant to be invested in the kingdom agenda. Let me show you how this breaks down. Look with me at point number two, and we're going to look at four principles. The first principle is what we call the reaping and sowing, and that's this. The way you give to meet the needs of others and support the work of ministry will impact how you receive. Why would God continue to provide more resources for you to spend on yourself? Why would God make you rich just to be rich? You were never meant to have more than what you need just to have more than what you need. When your security is resting on your resources, you forget that God is the source. But when your security is resting on him as the source, you can have more resources because you can be trusted to not just do for you, but to make sure that you're investing in the kingdom agenda. No one was meant to have more than what they need just to have more than what they need. Does that make sense? And with the reaping and sowing, as you invest in God's kingdom, 
you will discover that God will keep investing in you. The principle of intent, consider this, we must plan to give out of what we have in love to meet the needs of others accordingly and to support the work of ministry practically, not out of obligation or with resistance. This is why I tell people at my church, if you feel manipulated or you feel that you have to do this, keep your money. This is about an investment in God's kingdom. The goal is not to guilt trip you, to manipulate you, to give. That, that's what we see in a, a lot of churches where it's about the money. Where there's true ministry going on, it's you saying to that congregation, God has given me more. God is investing in my life here. I want to make sure that what God is doing here continues, and he's given me what's necessary to not only enjoy and to take care of my responsibilities, but to share, to make sure that we advance God's agenda at this assembly, I'm excited to give my resources. And I try to get people at ease with that at our congregation to say, listen, there are two things I'm not after as your pastor. I'm not after your wife and I'm not after your money, contrary to your belief system. I love my wife and I'm good with what we have. But I want you to partner with us if that's what you want to do. If you believe God is doing something here, then know that God can use you here not just with your time and talents, but your treasures so that God's agenda can move forward. But that means you have to be smart. You have to think about why would God ever give me more than what I need? Here's a third principle, the principle of sufficiency. As we give out of love to meet the needs of others accordingly and to support the work of ministry practically, God will make sure our needs are met so that we may continue to give to support accordingly. Now, let me explain that in a practical way in my life. Right now, our church is in a growth process, and we took a major risk. And as a major risk, we're trying to get into a building right now that basically requires us to turn it into a church assembly. It was an executive office. With that happening, we have had some financial challenges in that we had to make a decision of me getting a salary versus paying some expenses to get the church going because the church is small. And so there's not a lot of people. There's not a lot of resources. So our wife and I took on the idea and said to the congregation, at this point, I will not collect a salary so that we can begin to invest in this and watch it grow. And when the time is right, you can begin to give me a salary again. Now, let me tell you how major that is. That's almost a third of my resources as a pastor. So that means that I'm basically working for free at my church from time to time. And where they could give me a salary, they don't. Now, my wife and I, when we said it, we said it with a smile before the congregation, but we got home, we went, ah, we're going to be broke. We're going to lose our house. But let me tell you what God has done. Other places, other resources, as I'm traveling and teaching, people have been investing in us to where we would have been short, but God has been making up the difference through other places. Now, I can tell you guys it's uncomfortable, but sufficiency. We believe that God is doing something at the church, and we believe it was a test of our faith 
to see how much we're willing to let go for God's agenda to be advanced, knowing that God will not leave us without. And I can tell you, the mortgage has been paid every single month for the last six or seven months. Now, we still are freaking out going, ah, but every month is getting better and better. But what point am I making? God is doing something, and I believe it was a test for us. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has to do what we're doing. Please hear me. I'm just saying that we understand that we trust him. He is the source, even though we're lacking in a resource for something investing back in the kingdom. And he hasn't failed us. Now, I'm sharing this with you because I need you to understand that money can't be your God. Money has to be a tool. And the moment it stops being a tool and becomes your God, you can't really think about ministry at the level God wants you to think about ministry. Because you will get too consumed with what you have to lose versus getting excited about what you can gain as you invest in God's kingdom. I can't tell you how many times we've run out of money in my marriage, but we've always been provided for by the Lord. Because again, we don't trust in the resources, we trust in the source. And he has done way more than we could ever imagine. But this has been over time of learning these principles I'm sharing with you and challenging ourselves and increasing in our faith. Does that make sense, everybody? Let me give you another principle as we're looking at this verse. The principle of righteousness. As we give out of love to meet the needs of others accordingly and support the work of ministry practically, God will cause our righteousness to grow, resulting in temporal and eternal blessings and rewards. My wife and I have had to learn a lot through this. And we have grown through this. But what is really done for us is to recognize the power of the presence of God that goes far beyond money and to see money never as a power tool, but just as an instrument from the one who gives us power to live. Amen. That makes sense, everybody. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Because if we don't have a kingdom mindset about money, we will miss the reality of why God would put us in such a church as we're all in. As you're in your church, I'm in my church. And how God will use the resources he gave you as an advancement of the kingdom at that local assembly. Because remember, he never gives you more than what you need just for yourself. Now, with that in mind, look with me at point number three. God, and I want to show you this, does not provide money and wealth for our personal use and satisfaction alone, but also that we may share our money and wealth with others for the advancement of God's agenda as outlined in Scripture. Now, turn in your Bibles. I want you to see this to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to verse 19. Interesting principle here. First Timothy. By the way, you guys with me? You sleep yet? You up? You okay? All right. We can get up and do some jumping jacks if you need to. Run around the room a little bit. All right. Let me turn here. First Timothy. Look with me at verse 16 to verse 17. Or verse 19. Now, we've got to clear up something, though, in 1 Timothy 
where he says something here, because some of you will click off as soon as you hear these words. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, before we go any further, some of you've already shut off and said, well, this passage is not for me because he's talking about the rich. Okay. Now, if I were to ask any one of you define what it means to be rich, all of you have a certain number of what you believe rich means. Okay. Well, let me give you a biblical evaluation of what it means to be rich. Stay in second or first Timothy. And let's go back up for a moment to verse number. Let's go to verse one, go back to first Timothy one. And I want you to see something in, in the uh, practice of just exposition of what happens here. He says, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may be not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are deprived or depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness, verse 6, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Watch this. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Food and clothing, not covering, not a house, but with food and clothing. Now, notice that word but is there again. Are you guys with me? Verse 9. But those who desire to be rich. Now, go back to verse number eight. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Verse nine. But those who desire to be rich. What is the implication here? We read it further. Now, what do you think with me? But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. If you look at this context, the Bible describes a person who is rich as having more than food and clothing. Did I miss that in that passage? Did everybody see that in that passage? Now, am I making this up? Could I have made this up? So rich, according to scripture, is anyone who has more than food and clothing. So I have a dumb question. How many people in this room, according to this scripture, are rich? Raise your hand. Da-da. See, I don't want you to turn off and say, okay, well, he's not talking to me. When the scripture defines a person as rich, they have more than food and clothing, not even a home. Okay? Now, it's important you catch that. Now, in hearing what I've just said, go back with me to 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. By the way, stupid question. As we read verse 17 and 19, who is he talking to in this room? Some of us, all of us. Ah, 
Now you have a biblical definition of rich, so you can see that passage within the context that he's talking to all of us. Notice what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. Look at these words. As for the rich in this present age, and again, rich more than food and covering, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Never put your faith in your resources. Never put your hope in your resources, but on God who richly supplies. Isn't that something? Us with everything. Notice what it says to enjoy. God gives you more than what you need to enjoy. Did you catch that? God does this, but watch this. He says they are to do good, to be rich. He's playing the word rich, rich and good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, why am I sharing this with you? The world has a concept of rich. The Bible has a concept of rich. If you have more than food and covering, according to scripture, you are rich. So therefore, the idea is God has given you more than what you need to enjoy, but to also be rich in sharing. There is nothing wrong with enjoying what God provides, because I can tell you guys, whenever I have more than what I need, me and Miss Vanessa, we party. We have fun. If we can take a cruise, we take a cruise. If we can hang out, we have a ball. But when we are broke, we're saying, Lord, thank you. It was fun while it lasted, Lord. But we don't spend it all on ourselves. We make sure that as we have more than what we need, we make sure the church has as God has given us. Why? Because that's the first place where we are to invest in the kingdom agenda that God has set. And as God gives us more, we enjoy more, but we give more to that place where God has given us more because we recognize what it means according to scripture to be rich. So with that in mind, point number three, money and wealth is not for our comfort alone, but also that God may show comfort to others as deemed proper by scripture through the money and wealth he has allotted to us. God did not create us to live for ourselves. Therefore, the resources we have were not meant to be for ourselves alone, but to be shared with others as deemed proper by Scripture. If God should choose to allow our standard of living to increase, then our standard of giving for God's glory should increase accordingly. When our standard of giving does not increase with our standard of living, we must evaluate our spiritual condition. As we give generously as deemed proper by scripture, he will give to us generously so that we may continue to give generously, not just so that we can live comfortably. Do you guys understand how this money and wealth should work? If you can get a bigger house, great. But if getting a bigger house causes you to give less to the agenda of God, then you've missed the point of having more. There's nothing wrong with having resources. It's when the resources have you. God has never given you more just for you. It is a test. It is an evaluation of your spiritual 
condition. Now, with that in mind, I want to break this down, and we don't have time to go through all the passages, but I want to share with you how you can practice this practically. So we, we put some principles together. What we've recognized is that God is not offended by you having resources because he gave them to you. And he has so allotted you in this room and me in this room more than a person who lacks. So everyone in this room, according to scripture, is rich according to God's design for scripture, because you have more than food and covering. Therefore, God expects for you and I to enjoy and to, what's that second word? Share. But how do we do this? What's the practical way that we do this? Let me suggest to you guys the four M's of giving. And I want you to go back over the weekend, maybe sometime this week, and review these scriptures. The giving of money and wealth should be done to support Number one, the members of God's family in need, the ministers of God's kingdom agenda, the ministries of God's kingdom agenda, and the meager in the culture. This is what God expects of us when we have more than what we need. Let me say it again. The giving of money and wealth should be done to support the members of God's family need, the ministers of God's kingdom agenda, the ministries of God's kingdom agenda, and the meager and the church. Church, Giving to support the members, the ministers, the ministries, and meager should be consistent. It should be in proportion to your ability, and even if your ability is minimal, it should be generous, it should be planned and intentional, it should be voluntary and cheerful. All those passages show us that there is a direct plan from God as to how you give your resources. What a lot of people will do is they'll start with a parachurch instead of the church, and I tell people it is the church that God called to do ministry. Parachurch is a support, but the first and primary place that your extra should go is to that church that you are invested in, that God is allowing you to be transformed into his image using that church to help you grow. Because it takes resources to do ministry. Now, if we take that, number five, the four basic M's should be practiced in your local church accordingly. What does that mean? In the church where you attend, you can practice giving by providing materials and money to support the ministries, to support the members, to support the meager, to support the ministers. That's where you can start. Now, if you decide, hey, I want to do more than that, well, you can give to commit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. It's a joke. I know we talk about money. People get real serious. I'm joking. The point I'm making is take care of your church first. Because God is using the church to take care of you. That is where it begins. Now, you say, but I don't have a lot of money. Doesn't matter. Look with me at point number six. Even if we do not have the abundance of money and wealth, we are to participate in using our resources for the glory of God. Turn in your Bibles for just a moment to Mark chapter 12. Let's look at verses 41 to verses 44. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to verses 44. 
Here is Jesus sitting in the temple. Look with me at verse 41. He, personal pronoun, talking about Jesus Christ. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, I'm not telling you that you need to follow the model of giving everything you have to where you don't pay your light bill and you're just going to trust Jesus. That's not what I'm saying here. The point I'm making is it doesn't matter how much you have. It matters your heart and willing to give because you have decided to invest in that place that God is investing in you. So what does that mean? Letter A, we have or what we have does not determine if we should give to God's kingdom business. It determines how much we can give to God's kingdom business. All of us are not expected to give the same amount to God's kingdom business because we're not all a lot of the same amount of money and wealth. It's just logical. If every individual within the body of Christ would give what they can out of what they have, no one in the body would lack for resources. What I tell our church all the time is there should be no excuse for anyone in this congregation to be of a lack. We have enough around here that if anyone is in need, we should all be able to provide what's necessary. No one in our church should have to go without something because everyone in this church has something that they can provide. And as a shepherd, I've been so serious about that. And we've done that many times where there have been people who've had some situations. We just had a woman the other day who her husband died and discovered that he was not taking care of the responsibilities in the house. This woman literally has nothing, nothing. And so what do we do as a congregation? We wrote a check. Now, do we have a lot of money? No, but that doesn't matter. What we did have, we made sure, and then there's some others in our congregation who have found out, and their goal is to make sure this woman will not go without in our congregation. Why? Because it should be our responsibility to take care of each other. We all don't have the same amount, but we all have something. And as we learn to invest, we can see God work in our lives and see the church grow in the grace and knowledge of God. Consider this. If every individual within the body of Christ will give what they can out of what they have, the only individuals within the body who would lack for resources would be the individuals who are choosing to live undisciplined, lazy lives. Now, here is where the line stops. In Texas, we are bordered to Louisiana, okay? And there's a lot of casinos in Louisiana. Gambling is not yet legal in Texas. And so there are a lot of people who take their paychecks and take their money and they go an hour, an hour and a half across the border to the Cachada. That's what it's called. And they spend a lot of money at the Cachada and then they come back and they say, you know what, uh, Pastor Ellen, money is tight. Really? Yeah, Pastor, we've had a rough week. Really? How rough was the week? It was really rough. Okay. And 
you know, you've got a lot of people in your family and they talk to me quite a bit. They told me you've been over the state line this weekend. Oh, oh well, yeah, that. Uh, see, what had happened was, uh-huh. I'm sorry, my brother, my sister. You have to be without. Don't expect the church to finance your foolishness. Here's what I told my daughters. I said, I love you. You are my babies. You are my precious darlings. I will finance your faith. I will finance your education. I can't finance your foolishness. You always have to pay for that yourself. It's amazing how they got budgets when that happened. Daddy, can't, well, you spent your money on what? Yeah, but daddy, I, well, man, it's pretty bad. I'll be praying for you. But daddy, I thought, I, there you go, think it again. Hope you work it out. Let me know how it goes. Love you. Bye. What point am I making? The church is not meant to finance foolishness and laziness. It is meant to finance and help people who are seeking to live a life. Now, I'm not saying we don't fail and fall short sometimes, but the reality is we were meant to love on each other. And sometimes people learn better by being broke because of bad decisions to do better decisions versus trying to rescue people out of something. Because remember, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And we have to be wise with the resources that God gives us. Does that make sense, everybody? So I wanted to share this with you because I, I need you to understand as, as I'm coming from a shepherd's heart, see, I get to say things your pastor can't say and then I get to leave, all right? So I'm gonna take advantage of it, all right? The point I'm making is this, it's not about the money. It's about the investment of God's kingdom. Because if God wanted to, he could provide the resources just like that. Money is always a test of your spiritual maturity. And money is always a test of what you truly trust. And if God gives you more than what you need, it's always for something bigger than you. And the church is the place. Now, let me close by saying this. Therefore, we must settle the issue in our hearts in relation to money and wealth. First of all, letter A, money and wealth are not for our personal use only, but for the advancement of God's kingdom purpose. Secondly, please hear me well, don't trust in money and wealth granted to you. Instead, trust God who granted the money and wealth to you by using it to advance God's kingdom purposes, not just use it for yourself. To proclaim to have a new life in Christ, our Lord, but use the money and wealth allotted to you in the same selfish manner you did before you were a Christian conveys that you need to make changes so that your use of money and wealth matches your profession of faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Don't tell me how much you love Jesus, but won't invest in his kingdom. That's lip service. Life service says, as God has provided, I'm going to enjoy, I'm going to share. And my first place of sharing is with the body of Christ, where God is making provision for me spiritually. But thirdly, don't allow negative past experiences with pastors or, or churches or certain individuals to keep you from using portions of money and wealth granted to you to advance God's kingdom purposes. 
Learn from those experiences. Study God's word to get the proper interpretation of those experiences and get back in step with God's kingdom agenda with the money and wealth he has allotted to you. Don't neglect present opportunities to be a blessing because of past experiences. I tell people all the time, because sometimes I get people to come out of those charismatic churches. I had one couple, they were giving ungodly amounts of money because of the naming and claiming and grabbing and bagging and speaking things into existence. And they just got broke and the church got rich, right? So then they came to our church and we began to teach them about grace and giving, not out of obligation, but giving out of a heart. They stopped giving altogether and said, well, we're free now. I was like, no, 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 you, you misunderstood. You're not free to not give. You're free to give. We're not going to manipulate you. Yeah, but, you know, you've talked about grace and we just feel like this is a period of time where we need to just process. I said, really? Process? So God's going to give you more and you're going to process if you're going to give now because you were manipulated in the past? And, and, and I, I put it to this. It, it's, it's like I gave someone some wood. I taught them how to make a bat. And then they turned around with the bat and swung and hit me in the head with it. That's, that's what it felt like. But what point am I making? Don't let past experiences with bad preachers or bad situations keep you from doing the right thing. Does that make sense, guys? Here's a final note. If you don't feel that God's kingdom agenda is being advanced in the church you're in, don't stop giving or give less than you can yet continue to go to the church. Stop going there and start going to a church where you can see God's agenda being advanced. Go there and share your time, your talents, spiritual gifts, money, and wealth with full commitment, not a partial one. Don't punish the new church with partial commitment in giving your time, your talents, spiritual gifts, money, and wealth because of issues you had with the old church. Settle those issues of the past and serve wholeheartedly in the church of the present. I tell people all the time, please don't punish me and this congregation for what some other pastor did. Again, two things. I don't want your wife and I don't want your money. Okay. I understand that other pastor was. That's not who I am. I love my wife. I'm comfortable with what we have here. But if you want to be a part of this ministry, understand that God gave you something to invest so that we together can take the world for Jesus Christ and help each other grow in character and grow in faith as we move and wait for his return. And when you think this way, it changes everything about your resources. Now, we're going to close out here, and I just want you to just bow your heads for a moment with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to take a few minutes. And we're just going to take a moment of silence. I want you to have a talk with the Lord. And as you're talking to the Lord, I want you to identify where maybe you have taken the resources he's given and use them in a way that you know would not be pleasing and seek his forgiveness. And as he is speaking to your soul through the scripture, identify how you can begin to put this to practice in the church that God has allowed you to be in right now and take a few moments and just have a conversation with the Lord about how you can take what he's provided and be an investment.
at Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's take a few moments. Father, we thank you for Lord and your sovereign plan. You gave us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that as we put our faith in you, you have sealed us with God, the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, as you continue through your word to illuminate our hearts and minds, to recognize and see truth for what it is. We ask your forgiveness, Lord, because somehow we begin to think that the money you provided, the resources you provided were for us and us alone. We ask your forgiveness for, Lord, we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to you. And everything that you've given us belongs to you. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us how to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And we pray, Lord God, that we would begin to think through what it means to have more than what we need and how we can enjoy it and how we can share with this assembly because Lord we believe that we didn't just come here you brought us here and Lord we believe that you are doing your work through this church teach us guide us knowing that you will not leave us nor forsake us and that as we give according to your will we can expect you to even continue to give to us because you can trust us to use the resources you gave us to be rich in giving and not be consumed with being rich. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.